I, um, I want to just say really quickly, uh, my dear colleague, um, our pastor of community life and spiritual formation, Kiana, has not been with us the last two weeks. Last week, she was celebrating um, and uh, getting to be celebrated during a bachelorette uh, a weekend. Um, this week, it's not because she's still celebrating, it's because she is ill. Um, not because of the bachelorette weekend, she's just... <laughs> She's ill because folks just be coughing all over the place. Anyway, um, that's okay. We're allowed to cough. It's a safe place to cough. Um, but I do want you to be praying for her because um, I know um, just the ways in which she is so committed to showing up and being incarnational and um, the sadness that she feels when she's not actually able to be in worship with us. And so this morning, we also want to give God thanks and praise for um, our dear sibling, Donna Coltrane Battle, who has um, been a voice for us, a psalmist, over the last... Um, two weeks, um, as my other friend Margaret Brunson would say, one thing about Donna, because, you know, Donna got called up at the last minute, is that Donna stays ready so she doesn't have to get ready, okay? <laughs> Donna will tell you, oh, I'll pre you can call me at midnight and I'll preach for you the next morning, and she will have a word. That's the thing. Some people have three weeks to prepare, and I'm like, now what was that? But Donna, on the other hand, she comes back from the upper room with a word. So we give God thanks and praise. I, I also wanted to say that what a beautiful thing that, like I'm looking at folks within our community um, who have preached and prayed and shown up in all these really beautiful ways. I hope that you also know that um, there are gifts within you. You don't have to have reverend in front of your name in order to really do powerful things. Um, you just let God use you wherever you seek to be, to be available. Um, I don't typically do this, but if you have an opportunity to listen to the sermon from last week, I might invite you to do so. Um, and if you can't, then simply hold on to this little recap. And that is um, that our worship life together is not performative in the sense that we don't come on Sunday to Sunday um, to act out something. You know, it's not like you go to worship and then you live life. It, we come um, to worship because we believe that it is generative. It actually produces something. So hear that, that our worship is not performative. We're not coming to act out something. We come instead because we believe our worship is generative. It produces something. Um, we get to participate in the already unfolding of what God is up to in the world. So when we say that God is our peace, we participate in, in the, the power that God has to bring peace, even in the places that feel so despairing. You get to participate in it. And so um, our bodies are are involved. They're engaged in a revolutionary act, and I don't want to diminish that. I want to say it is a revolutionary act because we, um, we lean into what we believe of Jesus through ourselves in creation and in the world, and then we say, you know what? I'm going to sing like I believe the thing is true. I'm going to pray like I believe the thing is true. I'm going to come to a table like I believe the thing is true. I'm going to pass the peace as though I believe the thing is true. That is no small thing. Because we are reminded oftentimes in our, like, in our humanity of where we are limited. And then you get to come to this place and say, I co-labor with the God who creates and recreates. And our bodies participate in it. Now this morning, we have two passages of scripture. And both give us a glimpse into the thing underneath the thing underneath the thing about worship. I'm going to say this again in the sermon. These two passages of scripture that we're going to read this morning, they're not parallel scriptures. So it's not like one leads into the other. 
Um, I think sometimes it's very easy for pastors in particular to try to make things make sense that shouldn't probably be put together, and that is not what I'm trying to do, okay? So please don't tell people, oh, my pastor said, okay? <laughs> don't mess up my street cred in these streets. <laughs> They're not parallel passages of Scripture, but what I would love for us to do is to hold these passages of Scripture together, okay? I want us to hold them together. I'm so grateful for Dr. Collins, Norman Collins, who's going to come and read Psalm 84, and then afterwards I'm going to read um, a passage from Mark chapter 9. Good morning. Good morning. Let me say, Pastor Lisa, thank you for the honor. The word of the Lord this morning comes from Psalms 84, and it reads as follows. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, indeed it faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and not the, uh, not the swallow a nest for and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at the altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Happy are those who live in your house and ever sing your praise, Salah. Happy are those whose strength is in you and in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. The God of gods will be seen in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Salah. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than live in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. He bestows favor and honor. No good thing does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, happy is everyone who trusts in you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. Psalm 84, that psalm that we anchored ourselves in last week, thank you so much, Dr. Collins, for reading that, was a psalm of pro procession, a psalm that pilgrims sang, as I move through the valley of weeping, we will leave springs of joy. And hear this word from the Gospel of Mark chapter 9, as the disciples make a pilgrimage up a mountain with Jesus to see Jesus glorified. And it says this, beginning in verse 2. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, basically glorified before him. And his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. 
And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, people have been going on and on and on about how good Tracy Chapman looked at the Grammys. <laughs> and, um, and the commentary typically looks like this. It's because she lives unbothered, stays under the radar, is moisturized, and drinks her water and minds her business. <laughs> See what I'm saying? Be like Tracy Chapman, friends. <laughs> One of the ways you can be like Tracy Chapman is stay out of Instagram comments. For those of you who are on Instagram, it is a vortex. People love to argue on Instagram about everything except for the things that matter. Folks like to, as they say, tussle in the comments of Instagram. But I have to say something because God is good. One day, I stumbled across um, some commentary that actually I had time for in the Instagram comments. <laughs> in it... Um, a black comedian, and it's important that I, that I offer uh, his key identity by the name of Kevin, talked about how, <laughs> okay, for those, <laughs> it's Black History Month, roll with me, people. <laughs> You're getting a primer and you don't even know it. Um, Kevin said, he, he made some commentary in a video. He said, you know, it's really interesting that, um, in gospel music in particular, we oftentimes talk about like God paying our bills, God moving through our bodies, God, you know, bringing us back from when we are from in difficult circumstances. And then he made um, this kind of comparison of another kind of genre of Christian music that oftentimes talks about God like to, to be adored or um, God who is on high or God who only shows up basically in our spiritual lives, but not so much in our physical lives. Well, someone else slid up in the comments who actually has um, a, theological, um, a theological background. And this person said, I don't want us to take too lightly this point that Kevin, this comedian, is making. He's actually offering up a very prophetic word because um, that particular genre of Christian music does create this disembodiment. You know, and now I like this song, but I'm going to sing it. God of wonders beyond our galaxy, you are holy. You know, it's like, oh, God, who's, you know, so da na 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 um, God who is like high and lifted up. Beautiful song. And, and I think it is very important that we, we do sing about like adoration to God, God who moves through all of creation. Then this person goes on to say, though, where it can get a little bit tricky, where it can get a little bit tricky is when um, God only shows up in regards to like spiritual matters, but not like in the like intersecting in the very mundane, ordinary parts of your life. 
Because in doing so, then we only make worship kind of like a spiritual moral thing without recognizing that we're only making a spiritual moral thing as opposed to recognizing that we're leaning into, we're participating in something, and God is actually also participating in our lives. The incarnation of Jesus should help us to understand what kind of um, is, the, is the, the character of God. Because it wasn't just speaking through the prophets or speaking through the law, but through a human flesh. And the word became flesh and blood and dwelt among us. There's this sense that God, that God enters in to our everyday lives. Here's um, why I also think this is just such an important observation. Is if we only are practiced in thinking about how we worship or praise or are buoyed in worship when things are good, then we don't know exactly how to make ourselves available to how God might be at work in our lives when things are really tricky. So then you can come to church on Sunday and you sing these songs and you do particular things and you feel like I check it off the box and then you go home and you're like, I don't even know how to speak to my partner. We have had such a difficult time communicating with each other and somehow don't recognize that, oh, actually the two, the two go together. Like, like, God, like God actually cares. That God actually cares about those things about your life. I don't feel no ways tired. I've come too far from where I started from. Nobody told me that the road would be easy. I don't believe you brought me this far to leave me. God cares about your life. <laughs> and sometimes the words have to match. Nobody told me that the, that the road would be easy. Y'all. But I don't believe, God, you brought me this far to leave me. I believe that the trees of the field are clapping their hands. I do. And I believe that God is so good in my life that I won't let the rocks cry out for me. You know? This is the beauty of, like, worship being embodied and not performative but generative. It's because we trust that the presence of Christ is not too far away from our lives. Yeah. Oh my goodness, to invite you to come here for an hour or an hour and 15 minutes just to check off a box would be such harm to you. I suspect that all of us at some point in time, and, and I don't mean that in a hyperbolic way, but truly all of us at some point in time have felt a shift in the midst of worship where Donna was saying something and you're like, why am I crying? Or someone reached out and touched your arm and you're like, oh, I feel like that was God reminding me that I've not been left alone. Or someone passing the peace and you're like, I needed that particular person to come across, you know, to walk across and come to hug me so that I might be re reminded that I have not been forgotten. Um, I, I want you to know it's not just, oh, you got the, you had the feels, oh my goodness. And like, we're just, mm, you know, ooh. Like my moon and my, is rising in a I mean, that too, but um, <laughs> you might actually be sensing the real presence of God intersecting with your life. 
oh, how Donna started worshiping. I'm going off script here. This idea, like, is there anything that I've done that would, like, warrant this love? Ooh. A, a love that is stronger than death, even stronger than the grave, as it says in Song of Solomon. That is the God that enters into your worship. You sing things. And whether you sing off-key or on-key, you sing things. And God inhabits the praises. Like, we don't just show up for showing up's sake, friends. There's this understanding um, in theological circles. I'm, I'm, y'all are going to be like scholars by the time, you know. When we talk about meta narratives, in essence, um, especially in scripture, it's the way in which we read ourselves into scripture. So there was this gentleman in my home church by the name of um, uh, Brother John Vonner. I used to call him Brother Vonner. Um, I told you about Hazel Limehouse. Brother Vonner used to sing this song, how did you feel when you come out the wilderness, come out the wilderness, come out the wilderness? How did you feel when you come out the wilderness leaning on the Lord? Now, Brother Vonner lived in Somerville, South Carolina and had a car. You, I could easily be like, now, Brother Vonner, what you talking about coming out the wilderness? We live in a small town. I mean, it's not the most, it's not a metropolis, but this is not wilderness. But Brother Vonner was singing, hearkening back to the Exodus narrative of um, the people of God journeying through the wilderness. And for Brother Vonner, when he would hear that song or he would sing that song, this is how he understood the meta narrative that he, his life, did feel like wilderness at times. So when he sang that song, he wasn't just, oh, let me sing a song to transition from this prayer to this reading of scripture. He's like, no, I'm, I'm singing through the lens of Exodus, my own life in this world. It's the meta narrative. It's, it's not that everything in worship, scripture, song, prayer lands where you're like, oh, that's so relevant. But it's the way in which you see, like, you know what? Um, the valley of Baca, the valley of weeping, have I ever been there before? No. But some of you have cried so hard that you, you could not get words out. And you might say, oh, my goodness, I have known what it is when I did not get accepted into that program. That felt like my valley of Baca. It's a meta-narrative. And the beauty of it is this song that we sing, oh, and my heartache. This song that we have declared, oh, and my debt. This creed that we are reciting, oh, and my deep wrestling and doubt. This meal that I'm going to come to, oh, last week that I had a major fight over the dinner table. The passing of the peace that we do. Oh, the ways that I might be taking up too much space or need to take up more space. Like worship isn't just this thing. It intersects. Let me tell you why I think it's, um, it feels important to me. Um, Psalm 84 and also Mark chapter 9. If we begin to have this shift in our understanding of the thing underneath the thing underneath the thing underneath the thing in worship, regarding how God is actively engaged in the mundane details of our lives, when our life circumstances are great and wonderful and beautiful and things just seem to be working, we will seem to believe that there's a reality of God that God cares about us and also enters in. And... If we have this shift, 
regarding how we believe that um, our, our, our lives um, intersect with what God is up to when we are in the midst of worship will also help us to rest in when our lives are breaking, when we are dealing with difficulties, when the world seems to be doing everything but leaning towards life. We'll also have this sense that the generative work that we're doing in worship will also matter. In Psalm 84, here's the beautiful thing that I want to share about both passages. It says that these pilgrims who are going to, the, um, who are going to make uh, pilgrimage to, to the temple, they go from strength to strength. They say it is better to be in the house of God than to be anywhere else. And actually, that is hyperbole. It, it, it's, it's to say it is, um, we, we want you to see the exaggeration of this. And they talk about the power of their pilgrimage being such that even when they go through the valley of weeping, they create pools, they leave a stream of joy, and that it is better to trust in the goodness of God than not. Here's the thing about these particular pilgrims who are like, I mean, just the, the swell of the worship has them believing that God is just actively engaged in their lives, are the same pilgrims who also knew what it was to have to take death marches into exile. They were the same pilgrims who sometimes said, how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? It is like they put the harps that we would play on in the trees. Do y'all hear me, friends? There's a sense that, okay, this God who is at work with us when whew, we, are, we are going, they are the same ones who also had a song, though the song might have sounded differently when they were in different circumstances because they still believed that God somehow could enter in. And then in Mark chapter 9, which this passage of Scripture is oftentimes... Um, appointed on Transfiguration Sunday, which is what this Sunday is. It is when uh, Jesus goes up to the mountain with Peter, James, and John, these three that oftentimes in very uh, sensitive situations, Jesus takes these three. We all, we all have those friends. There's some friends you go to the mall with. And there are other friends that you can trust in difficult circumstances. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the ones you go to the mall with are not the ones who can be with you. Peter, James, and John. Oftentimes when there is a sensitive situation or a, a situation that would be um, where an attentiveness to how God was at work, those were the three. And they go up to this mountain. And on this mountain, Jesus is transfigured or glorified before them. We say um, it's a beatific vision, like, like that Jesus who is human, like there is something that radiates from him that you know that he is no ordinary man. And the first instinct of the disciples as they also see the prophets is like, let's create booths and just stay up here. It feels, this is nice. This is real good. Oh, wow, Jesus, you are shiny. You know, in the light of your presence, Lord, we look good like this. This right here, I love this for us. So let's create booths and stay up here. And maybe the most powerful part of the transfiguration passage is that Jesus takes them out of this beatific trance and says, no, we're going down the mountain. We will not stay here. We will not stay here. You know a piece of this passage of scripture that I had never 
that I had never noticed before is that Jesus says, don't tell anyone about this, me being glorified, until after I have been raised from the dead. Now, Jesus being raised from the dead means that Jesus dies. Actually, that Jesus got killed. That the nation state killed Jesus. I want you to remember this moment of glory. I want you to remember what it was like on this mountain. I want you to remember what I looked like in all of my glory. You need to recall that After the nation state has laid me bare, after they have left me in a tomb, and yes, when I rise from the dead, you remind them of what happened here, there, and here. The pilgrims who march from strength to strength also know what it was to have to take a death march into exile. How to sing a song when we have no harps, God will give us one. And the disciples who are like, this feels so comfortable and so good. Jesus is like, nope, sometimes you need to remember this glory. We're not just in here singing songs. We're not just in here to make ourselves feel good for an hour. We're not just in here to satisfy a moral obligation. We're not just in here to pray some prayers and to feel as though, okay, I have done the thing that I have been called to do. We are here to be reminded in that moment that you can sense that God is intersecting with your own human life. That when I'm watching the news, And I hear that safe zones are no longer safe zones. I recall this glory. Not to be a panacea or to create toxic positivity so that I can guard my hope. So that when I only have tears, I'm like, but God, God is doing a generative thing if this is all the worship I have. Because God intersects with human life. So remember the moments. Remember the moments when you have journeyed from strength to strength in this place. Remember the moments when you sang a song and you felt the shift in your life. Remember the moment when you prayed that prayer and you actually believed that God was going to get you out of that situation. Remember the moment that someone looked you in your face and you recognized, I have not been left behind. Because there will be other moments. There will be other moments. There will be other moments. Recall this thing after this thing. And trust and believe that what we have done and what we are doing will create a shift. May it be so in the name of the one who has not brought us this far to leave us. Amen.